Hi, this is the See You Next Tuesday podcast. We have dirty words and shit potholes throughout the entire episode. Our name literally spells cunt. How could you not know what was coming? Thanks for listening. Good times. We're back. Yeah. Back for number two. Round two of the contemplation. And you're still here. Thank We're you. We're all hopped up on cake sugar. And, and shamps. Glitter shamps. shamps. I think the glitter did something to me. It, yeah. The look on your face is like the glitter. Yeah. The glitter. <laughs> Am I that transparent? <laughs> Normally, I don't look at you. And so you get away with those faces, but this time I did turn my head. This is why I always look at you. I'm like, she's going to make a face like, Jesse, what the fuck are you talking about right now? I'm like, yeah, I know. Nope, you had the face. You were like, I did. I had the face this time. fucking glitter, bitch. It's the gummy you ate. Frame of reference, glitter is your favorite color. Yes, which is really funny because I'm not very. You're not a, uh, we're going to say. From when we were growing up, normal gender, the, the gender norms of what we were growing up was. Girly. Girly. Yeah. You know what? I, we're tight. Who gives a f- Glitter is. I'm not right? very girly. I don't wear. You know what? Here's what's funny. I do wear dresses to work every day, but it's like t-shirt dresses over my leggings because it's the closest fucking thing I can get to pajamas Hell at yeah. work. Hell, absolutely. Okay. But normally I'm not dresses and high heels i wear no. flats with them i don't wear heels i'm a jeans and t-shirt 100 percent of the day but i love me some glitter yeah but i think that that's what's cool about you is the fact that it's like i'm not overtly glittery kind of gal but covertly i am i'm bougie i like nice things i like glitter rainbows sparkles See lisa frank all of that. That's you. I'm like, I think it surprises people. Cause yeah. Like, jeans, t-shirt, red hair, tattoos on my arm. Right, right. They, and yeah. then, like, you Glitter. see me in a store. <laughs> you see me in a store. And then I'm like, oh, my God, look at that handbag. Right. Yeah. But that's cool. I mean, that, I think that actually proves the point of. Nothing is gendered. You can just be whatever you want and like whatever you like. Or it's great. Don't judge a book by its it, cover. Exactly. Exactly. Because I'm sure the security people watch me on their cameras to make sure I'm not going to steal shit. I like this bitch. And you're over here like, oh my god, what a cute purse. They're like, yeah, no, she's fine. <laughs> she's fine. They're like, she's going to steal that handbag, and they're like, oh, she going for the biggest one? She ain't going to steal that. Like, good luck getting that out of the door, but okay. So it's funny you mentioned that you're trying to find, you basically wear something as close as possible to pajamas, because my work uh, started work from home in March 2020, like many other works. Previous to this, we were not allowed to work from home, and then they realized, holy shit, you can. Like, yeah, no joke, of course we can. But anyway. We're going back to a hybrid model Tuesdays and Wednesdays starting in July. And I absolutely do not want to go back because I am feral at this point. Like, I'm afraid I'm going to get fired within two days because of my fucking mouth. Be perfectly honest. And also, when you're away from everybody for so long, 
you you just are in your own world and you'll talk to yourself and it's just like I can't turn it off now it's it's on at all times so here's why I'm laughing I sit at my desk and I talk to myself all fucking day long and let me tell you how many times like somebody has said what I'm like oh I'm just talking to myself and I'm like okay cool oh thank god uh, for that I work in a fucking office with fucking people and I'm fucking feral <laughs> You, I mean, so you're you saying know, I'm gonna be okay? I'm I just mean, scared. I'm like, oh girl, shit, girl, you're gonna be fine. Okay. Do you not recall I got scolded because apparently you're not supposed to use fuck at work? Remember, I told that story. Yeah. See, and I mm, don't care, girl. <laughs> see, okay. Zero fucks were given that I was scolded for using the word fuck because guess what I still use at work? Fuck. Yes. And then after I say it, I go, oh, I forgot. We're not supposed to say that here. Right. Mm -hmm. I may or may not have said to my boss the other day, yeah, because you make the big bucks and all, I guess you wouldn't do that. Right. Surely. Yeah. Not you. Yeah. So, um, zero fucks are being given. I'm feral and I work in an office. Okay. So you're saying I'm going to be okay, which is great yeah. because I think that's part of my concern is, is that. And then I have also been, um, which I might return. I don't know yet, but I found these like basically like dress pants that you can wear at work, but they're like wide leg. So basically like pajama pants. And I'm like, fuck Yeah. Because we are in a post-pandemic world, people. Hard pants was what I call jeans. Why are we still wearing hard pants? No, okay. I, I, I refuse. Even though I wear jeans yesterday. But the point is, I want it to be my choice to wear jeans. I did wear jeans to work yesterday because it was a special jeans day. Yeah, yeah. I would have much have rather worn my leggings and my t-shirt dress. See what I'm saying? That's my point. I want to find the most comfortable clothing i possibly can to go back in the office because okay. i basically want to wear pajamas at work leggings and t-shirt dress okay flats leggings from costco best ever there's only two colors black and gray i have 25 pairs of leggings all <laughs> black and gray because they're from costco and the best if you don't think costco leggings are the best come fucking fight me so i don't think i i don't i have leggings as well but have you tried the amazon leggings no, because they're pretty damn good, too. But I also haven't tried, haven't compared and contrasted the Costco leggings. Granted, I have not tried the Amazon ones, but feel oh. this legging. Feel it. Oh, it's like that buttery. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to touch your thigh. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. Feel that. And they're high waisted. Oh, God. I know low waisted is back. I get it. I get it. But guys. <laughs> I'm over 40. I like to eat food. And I need it to stay in place. So high-waisted really helps with that. <laughs> and Amazon flats. I have this no. pair of black Amazon flats. I love them so much that when I needed a new pair because, like, the soles got real warm. Yeah. I just ordered the same fucking shoe again. Why not? Love them. I think, and you actually bring up a good point too, is so uh, kind of a work uniform, so to speak, like 
you gave yourself a work uniform yes. because then you don't have to think about it in the morning. Like, oh shit, what am I going to wear? And I, I was like, I don't care. It's whatever. And I only have five dresses. I wear the same motherfucking dresses Absolutely. every week. I mean, what? Who are you there to impress? Like, what? Nobody. What is this? Who is this for? Well, you know, I do have that one coworker that I, I'm not saying he's cartel, but remember, I told you I'm pretty sure I'll still be able to continue to get avocados if I continue to be nice to him. <laughs> I want to impress him because I want to be friends with him. Okay. So maybe I should get a couple more dresses. <laughs> Just a few more to throw in the mix. Yes. So you can get that illegal supply of avocados going. Yes. Dude, pray for the avocados, man. We're, we're almost out, everybody. And if I do get that connection, don't be asking me for avocados. Because I see the judgment in your eyes. Well, I also don't want to know what you have to pay for those avocados either. So we're just going to. Nothing. It's my friendship. Move on. <laughs> my friendship. Sure. Sure. One of those. Eight balls of salsa. Oh, my God. You guys, we got so normally. Well, right now, at least we're kind of in this this trend of I get the Dutch Brothers. Amanda gets the breakfast and we've been doing breakfast tacos lately, which in Texas is a very big thing. Mine, my favorite is bean and egg. No cheese, no nada. And then the green salsa was stupid spicy. Well, today potato, egg and cheese, potato, egg and cheese, green salsa, Mm -hmm. stupid spicy. Love it. And if you don't think Tia's Kitchen is the best breakfast taco, fight me. If you know, you know. But Tia decided to give us salsa, not like the little to-go containers, like a little plastic tub. No, no, no. It was in, (laughs) they were in little bags tied with like a knot. So it looked like a dime bag of salsa. (laughs) So... Um, and hey, I'm going to give it to her. That's, that is going, I, I don't have this. I'm going to make what? it work. I understand supply issues. We're, 100%. I get it. 100%. We are all going through it. It's affected all of us in one way or the other. Um, HEB didn't give us our tortillas today when we picked up our curbside order. We got some bananas though. We got somebody else's nanners. Close enough. Tortillas, Thanks. bananas, you know. I guess we could smash the banners and make the tortillas. <laughs> I guess. Um, so I understand, and it was pretty ingenious, but it looked like eight balls of salsa. It, yeah, it, it was really Black funny. salsa. I mean, it was, it was just so funny. Yeah, because especially because you were like, you were pulling everything out of the bag, and you're like, ah, uh, and you just were holding it up with your hand, like, what the fuck is this? I'm like, I don't know what that is. Oh man! Oh, and I love this place too. It's the it's best. It's great. They're it's really the good. Best. Um, Plus, you get so much fucking shit on that goddamn taco. You had to take some off. I did. I Which did is the, insane. I did the ultimate sin. I took stuff off my taco. We don't do that here. No, you do not. You Mm-mm. just figure it out. You shovel it in, mm-hmm. and you keep but it. But I ate on the, the extra with my fork. I still ate it. God dang! Yeah, you get your money's worth. That's for sure. Yes, and. I love this place. It's like amaze balls, but the salsa situation this it, morning was pretty great. We didn't hate it because we still got our salsa. I love the ingenuity. Yeah. Is that the word? Yeah. I love that. It just made me laugh this morning so hard. Yeah. We've had a hell of a day, y'all. We hope y'all are also enjoying the contemplation. Celebration. 
celebrate part two part two and we hope we're taking you through your shitty ass work day or commute in a very fun fashion so um i got another man cunt let's do it so i thought my other one was gonna be longer yeah waco so when this one was shorter i was like cool cool but then my other one was short too and i'm like fuck fuck but it worked out here we go let me tell you about Eugene K. Palmer. Okay. He was born April 4th, 1939, and Eugene lived in Stony Point, New York. His um, next door neighbor was his son and John and John's wife, Tammy, and their kids. John and Tammy's relationship began to deteriorate, and the couple began to see other people. Um, I personally think you should get divorced first, but. What do you know? To each your own. I've never been divorced. I don't know how that works. Anywho. Um, Tammy don't play, though. Um, and she filed a restraining order against John, and Eugene was just not having it. He was like, oh, no, you didn't, Tammy. You've been getting dick on the side. Leave my son alone. So Tammy also threatened to file for divorce, and she, with the divorce, threatened to sue for the land that they were living on that belonged to Eugene. I need to stop right here. I have kind of a lot of questions. A, why are you threatening divorce? Do you think a man wants to stay married to you after you had him served with a restraining order and have been doing the pants dance with other men? Right, no. And, And why the fuck do you think you were entitled to Eugene's land? No idea. I have really so many questions that I don't get the answer to in this. Right. It's like I went to go see a movie. <laughs> and I hate that. So Eugene felt some way about all this because he started a feud with Tammy. And y'all, family feuds never end well. No. And in this case, it led to a heated argument. So, um... After the argument, on September 24th, 2012, Tammy walked her two children to the bus stop, and it's alleged that Eugene was hiding in the woods waiting to ambush Tammy when she returned home. Okay, so he's all over here like, I'm going to get my revenge. And so he's like, I'm going to lay in wait for her to come home. And Yes, as, <laughs> as one does. Because oh, you, God. your homestead is being threatened on the frontier. Exactly right. This is not the Wild West, dude. Like, that, that. But I mean, you I'm know, not saying like this is a good divorce. It's obviously contentious on got, both sides. We but. got Kenty vibes from Tammy. Like, sure. I mean, bitch, you getting dick on the side. Just leave him. Why are right. You, why are you threatening divorce? Just fucking divorce him? Yeah, if you don't, you're already... Just divorce him. Right. And why are you trying to take Eugene's shit? I don't know. Like, leave Eugene out of this. Yeah. Is it because Eugene loves his dad that you're going to screw both of them? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. So, um, doesn't mean murder's not for the answer. That no, God no. The answer. I'm just, I'm just saying. Tammy's a cunt, too. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not a pleasant... Situation on either side. Yeah, I, I'm not saying she got her just desserts by any means. No, no, no. Don't misconstrue. 
So as Tammy walked towards her house, Eugene allegedly began shooting at her with a shotgun from an unspecified distance. Jesus. The first shot struck her in the arm. The second shot missed. But the third fatal shot was from close range and hit her in the chest. Everything from this point on is alleged. I just don't want to keep saying it. It's all alleged. Okay. After the shooting, even the shooting is alleged. Yeah. After the shooting, Eugene fled the scene in a truck, which was later abandoned near Harriman State Park in Rockland County. Eugene then fled on foot into the park where search dogs followed Eugene's scent into a campground in the woods. The scent was then lost, and despite multiple searches, no body or trace of Eugene has been found leading the police to believe Eugene is still alive. Wait, whoa. Oh, my God. So much shit just happened. So, he shot his wife. No, no. Eugene shot his daughter-in-law. His daughter-in-law? Uh-huh. Tammy was John, his son's wife. Oh, I thought Tammy was his wife this no. whole fucking time. I was like, no. what? Yeah, so that makes even less sense. Why the fuck would you want your father-in-law's land? That's so weird. Exactly. Okay, so he shot this bitch because she was causing problems for him. And his son. And his son. He went all um, Papa Bear. But why would you kill your own son? Like, that doesn't make any sense. He didn't kill his son. Okay, so he didn't kill his son. He just killed her. Uh-huh. And what did his son do? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. And But now he's on the run, and nobody knows where the fuck he is. Mm-hmm. So Eugene is gone. Right, so... What the um, fuck? He fled in a truck. The truck was found at Harriman State Park. Um, and that's it? Eugene fled on foot. The docks... Dogs followed his scent to a campground. The scent was then lost, and despite multiple searches, no body or trace of Eugene has ever been found, leading the police to believe that Eugene is still alive. Holy shit. So the family believes that Eugene died in the park, um, but the Haverstraw police say a body was never found, and a federal arrest warrant was issued for Eugene June 10th, 2013. So Eugene depends on meds for a heart condition, and he has the diabetes. Mm. I know it's not the diabetes. Yeah, but it's more fun to say it that way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just want everybody to know I do that on purpose. Um, so he is actually an experienced hunter, fisherman, and outdoorsman, um, and a car enthusiast. So, okay. Um, but he had a deformed left thumb. Authorities believe Eugene might be hiding in Florida or upstate New York. Um, so the family thinks that there's no way he survived because he has some medication. But the authorities are like, he's an outdoorsman, he's a hunter, he's a fisherman. He has the abilities and the skills to be able to survive outdoors in the state park until he can escape somewhere else. Absolutely. And the other thing is, is like, he can also change his name and become a different person or just go by he doesn't even have to legally change his name he can just say my name's john smith and then people be like okay yeah i don't know you so sure so august 17th 2021 the fbi acted on a tip and searched the home of one of eugene's granddaughters they didn't find squat and all they managed to do was piss off his granddaughter she was livid let me tell you um 
And the story is Eugene Palmer is the 523rd fugitive to be placed on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. Nice. With a $100,000 reward leading to his arrest and conviction. His story has been on In Pursuit with John Walsh, the first episode of the revival of America's Most Wanted in 2021, and was an episode of the Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Eugene may or may not still be out there after he shot and killed his daughter-in-law. What? He's like Xavier. You just did another one. Why are you like this? Why are you like this? Like what? (laughs) What did I do? Oh my God. This is going to drive me insane knowing this person's out there. Oh, you mean doing fun people with fun stories? Wait, so he was on the, the latest Unsolved Mysteries? He was number, he was the first one? No, he was on the Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Oh, on the podcast. Okay, mm-hmm. got it. Not not the the one on Netflix that they revamped. Right, right. There's right. new episodes coming, y'all. Ooh, so excited. But okay, so this motherfucker may be dead. He might be because he had a heart condition and the diabetes. But see, that's the only thing that's leading me to think that maybe he is dead is the, are those two things. Because, like, you can survive in the woods by yourself alone for a hot minute if you Why have didn't they find his body? skills. No, I don't disagree. But, like, you also, if you need meds. How do we know he didn't escape the woods and circle back and get his meds from his house? Uh, you c- Absolutely. He could have. Did he anybody search his medicine cabinet? I don't know. I'm just saying, like, I have questions. It's just like, it's weird to have a person disappear. For the record, I did not watch any of those shows nor listen to that podcast. um, On purpose. Because I don't like to be influenced by those things. Yeah, I get that. I get that. You want to do your own and have your own, like, viewpoint. That's my personal thing. So I didn't go do those things. Yeah. So some of my questions could be answered. but. When I did Xavier, I actually had previously watched the Unsolved Mysteries about him. Right, yeah, me too. Because when Unsolved Mysteries came out, I binged the entire thing. Oh, hell yeah, me too. And when I started doing my Xavier research, I realized it clicked that, oh, I've seen this, but I didn't go back and rewatch it. Right. Because everyone knows I have amnesia. (laughs) Like, it's in my medical term. Yeah. I mean, but honestly, that is fascinating. So, hey, um, if you're looking for <laughs> something to do, help us find this guy. Um, I will probably put the um, FBI phone number. Oh, yeah. In the show notes. You want to do that? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, maybe uh, we also have to include a photo of him, obviously, so you <laughs> know who to wanted- aim for. They have a wanted poster. Hell yeah. Is it great? Oh my God. I love a good wanted poster. Amazing. I mean, and Eugene, if you're out there, like, bro, hit us up. Let us know what happened. Seriously. Like, I get that you were pissed off at the time. I don't think Tammy should get your land either, but I really feel y'all could have worked it out in court. Exactly. Like, don't murder her. Like, what the fuck, man? Murder's never the answer. Murder's never the answer. Exactly. How many times do I have to tell you? They're not listening. So every time. Oh, my God. Have I told you how much trouble I'm going to be in if there is a murder anywhere near me? Yes. No. <laughs> You're going to get implicated immediately. Have I told you why? Did I tell you why? It's not just the research that we do on the podcast? No, there's more. <laughs> okay. Uh-oh. 
So um, I got sucked into a reel on Instagram. Let me tell you how my brain works. Instagram reel. Scrolling through Instagram. Reel of somebody making this um, chicken pasta. Okay. I'm like, that looks really fucking good. So then that led me to the YouTube video that actually had the recipe on it. Right. So I watched the YouTube video. I see that the guy is wearing gloves. And I went, fuck. I need to buy gloves for the kitchen because I hate touching the raw meat. It's a thing. I don't like it. That's fine. Yeah, I get it. I I made Pod Hubby do it. So I say to him, hey, I need to get some gloves for the kitchen so you don't have to touch the meat and I can take care of dinner myself. He's like, I was just thinking that. Order the gloves. You know, I got the black latex ones. Yeah. That's the best. The ones that chefs use. Mm -hmm, Because I'm a chef. Then they come in, cooking dinner one night, and I realize, fuck, this is bad. I now have two boxes of gloves in my pantry, my size, hot hubby size. I research murder. <laughs> Pod hubby has zip ties in his work truck. Yeah. Latex gloves, zip ties, murder research. Yeah. Nobody die near me. <laughs> Please, God. Well, you don't you didn't buy any tarps recently, have you? Or bleach? Not recently. Okay, there you go. You're fine. I do have some. Yeah, yeah, but it was, you know. Oh, my God, yes. Potty's doing the flooring there, and he bought that plastic. Oh, the plastic to go on the bottom. (laughs) Oh, shit. Yeah, you're screwed, girl. I'm sorry. Let this be on the record as, no, she didn't do it. Okay? Uh, I I didn't. She didn't do it. (laughs) I advocate for murder is never the answer. I have stickers. We have a hashtag. Oh, my God. I have a hashtag with a... Oh God! I gotta. Yeah, it's not looking good, girl. I gotta remove the knife <laughs> from the hashtag. Oh my God! Please bring me up because I'm real sad. <laughs> well, you're not going to jail anytime soon. Don't worry. So, let's talk about hashtag hire Comey. Hire Comey. Oh yeah, the uh, the lawyer, the what's it? Oh God, I know who you're talking about. So. Let's get into the second half of Gary Ridgeway. So I just kind of give you backstory. No, you got to do your trophy. Oh, am I doing that? Cunt trophy. See? Cunt trophy. This is where I got confused. See, I'm so confused. Here we go. So let's get into the second trophy person that I have. A star mom. <laughs> I'm going off the books. You said it's a contemplation. So I was like, oh, I'm going to contemplate on my own. And here we are. Y'all, next time I'm going to write the rules out for her. Yeah, you might want to. Mm-hmm. I'm bad at following the rules. I will write them down. So our next star <laughs> mom <laughs> saw how the women were treated, sex workers were treated, and realized that we have to do better. Noelle Gomez was a teenage mom and her parents kicked her out. So this is when she was, unfortunately, trafficked into sex work as a teenager. She worked for her abuser on Highway 99 in Seattle saying, quote, I pretty much envision myself being thrown in a ditch somewhere and being Jane Doe. So how does she fit into Gary Ridgway, essentially? Her goal is to make sure that women like the ones that Gary killed had names, faces, 
and were more than just a photo in a file. They were human beings that had lives and families. She wanted them to be famous for more than just being Gary's victims. Quote, they were sisters, daughters, nieces, aunts, friends, and mothers. So her thought is she wanted to create a memorial to the women in Seattle and a space for the families and anybody else to come and sit and remember them. Noelle is also hoping that she can start to change the perception of sex work and it's created a lot of dialogue around whether or not they should erect something like this because they aren't sure how the families will react and what trauma it might cause. I thought that was interesting. I never even thought about that, but it's true. Like, think about if your family member was part of, let's, we're going to say the Holocaust. And at, you know, they're like, let's build a Holocaust memorial. But at the same time, it's like, yes, how is it going to be done? And then also, whenever you go to visit it as a family member, it has to bring up trauma. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of an interesting argument of like, we want this to be a healing space, but we also want to do it in a way that's respectful to everybody and that they can come and remember their family members and remember them for who they were and not because of the crime. Yeah. So. Their project is starting in phases, with phase one and two being done around 2013 and 2014. James Young, director of the Institute of Holocaust, Genocide, and Memory Studies at the University of Massachusetts, said that this is smart to do in stages because this should start to help the grieving process. It's like, okay, we first got the slab built, and then now we're doing the stones like with the names, and then we're going to do, or whatever. Um, this guy apparently like helped with the Holocaust Memorial. Uh, and just to make sure that the families are being represented. So Noel, just so you know, isn't just doing this. It's not like she's just, oh, cool. I just want to make sure that these victims are remembered. The reason why it's even more close to her is obviously because of her work, her previous sex work being trafficked, and she has a close relation to it. She's also the co-founder of the Organization for Prostitution Services, or, or excuse me, Prostitution Survivors, or OPS. It supports current and former sex workers and even does a class for those that have just been arrested. OPS also does community education programs and the Green River Victims Memorial is their star project. So she founded this organization. Think of it like a place where sex workers can come and get anything that they need. And of course, the idea is to eventually get them off the street so they don't have to do the work. But if they do... They need a place to stay and right. hygiene supplies. And At least they have what they need. Exactly right. Exactly. So, Noelle, let me just read a little bit about her. Um, I found this on the World Without Exploitation website. Quote, hello, my name is Noelle Gomez. I am the co-founder of OPS and a survivor of commercial sexual exploitation. Since getting away from being sexually exploited, I went to school and became a chemical dependency counselor. I started working with youth in juvenile detention in 2005. I noticed that the girls I was meeting with were obviously were, excuse me, to me, obviously being exploited. I later realized that there are no services for these girls. I began working for youth care in 2008 as the first SEC advocate and the only advocate in the city of Seattle. I was also contracted by the city of Seattle to facilitate the John School, as well as the sex industry workers class. These classes are part of a diversion program, and if completed, criminal prostitution charges are dropped. Wow. Yeah, dude. 
I began hearing from the adult women that they needed services and were not any programs at the time in the state. And I've been thinking about starting an organization for some time at this point and made the final decision. So that's her own story, which I thought was really interesting. And then on the OPS website, this is a little bit more of her story. Quote, I'm a survivor of trafficking and commercial sex exploitation. I got trafficked at an early age. By the time I was able to get away from my trafficker, I was too beat down to believe that I could do anything different with my life. I remained in the life for 15 years before leaving when I was 32. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Do that math. That's not good. And I'm skipping around. I have been in direct service for over 10 years working with women and girls that have been in the life or currently in the life. We are the only survivor-founded, survivor-led organization in the state of Washington. We believe in employing survivors and have an internship program for our participants. So the reason I chose her is because she is also another part of the case without being directly linked to it. Yeah. But through her story, she's like, okay, let's just change the narrative completely about this because I think that's the problem with, with our country, because there's other countries where it's legal, and they actually get medical services, STI tests, all of the stuff on the government for because they understand, look, sex work's going to exist. It's just like drugs. Drugs are going to exist. Yeah. Legal or not. We can either have people, women, mainly women and men out there doing this safely, or we can have them endangering themselves and others. And possibly getting killed because that's unfortunately very common. So I feel like she's trying to break the stigma slowly in the United States. Like, look, these women also need, whether you like it or not, they're going to be out there. Yeah. So I'm going to help them out. Exactly. And I think it's incredible. It's like, it's like homeless people. Right. Exactly. Like, what what are we going to do about it? Do you want to build them a house? Great. Let's do that. I mean, they're they're there. You can't pretend it doesn't exist. Right. Like moving their shit or or burning it or trashing it or whatever is not going to get. the person not exist. Exactly. Exactly. Like, look, we got rid of the homeless problem. It's like, no. No, you didn't. You just trashed their tent and now they got to go find a new one. That's really shitty. Yeah. So Noelle Gomez. And she is my star mom. Um, I did read that she does have children. I didn't go into that, obviously, because. You know, it's more about what she does. But um, as far as the project goes, I haven't heard anything since 2013 or 14. So I don't know about the funding there, but I'm going to link the website for OPS. You guys can take a look at it and donate um, to them, which I think is really cool. And uh, yeah, I'm just uh, hoping to see more programs like that pop up around the country. I think it's important. Did that bring you up a little bit, hopefully? A little bit. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you do your... Man, oh, I'm allowed to do. Yes. Okay. Remember? <laughs> we're, but here's the thing. We're actually not going in order of the chart now. Amanda. <laughs> Directions. I will give her handwritten instructions next time. <laughs> oh, my God. Is I have more substances in my body than she does. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So now let's talk about. My man cunt, the biggest cunt of them all, Gary Ridgway. Really? The biggest one? Yeah, you're right. There's others, but he's up there. Yes. Yes. So what did Gary do? 
And what was he good at? Because so far we've heard that, you know, he's a truck painter and kind of an average dude and forgettable, to be honest. I mean, he's real good at painting them trucks. He's real good at painting them trucks. The first thing he was excellent at is, as you know, painting them trucks. He had perfect attendance at Kenworth and was well known at being very good at his job. You know what? It's really hard to find dependable work nowadays. I know. We need more Gary Ridgeways, don't you think? Just showing up every day, right on time. Minus the murder. He's all wet and he's got grass stuck to him. But you know what? He's here on time, damn it. You know it. what? He fucking came to work, man. Exactly. And he got there on time. Exactly. He's supposed to be there at 8. That motherfucker was there at 8. I bet he was there at 745. I bet he was too. Then the second thing he was really good at was killing people. Like, really fucking good at it. So from 1982 to 1998, he killed a confirmed 49 women with the possibility of the actual number being higher because he confessed to 71. 80 has also been thrown out there, but we have proof of, I believe right now we have proof and we know the 49 women he did kill 100%. There's about, I think they said between 50 and 60 total that they're like, yeah, we're attributing it to him. But the rest haven't been confirmed. I mean, it's always hard to tell because sometimes they just like to claim yes that aren't theirs. Yes. Like a Henry Lucas situation where he probably only killed like two people, but he claimed he killed everybody. And he didn't. Like Orange Socks Girl. He didn't kill her. It's like, dude, no. You just read about it or heard somebody else talking about it. I think he um, did yogurt shop. But didn't we prove that he was, like, somewhere else at the time for Yogurt Shop? Oh, we proved he wasn't here during that time. Yeah, we thought so. There was somebody. Okay. There was somebody else, though. You're right. We were like, oh, Yogurt Shop, maybe. I can't remember who it was now. So how did this rando get away with this for, what is that, 20 years, 82 his to 98? Name, his name was Gary, and he looked average. Absolutely correct. He was a quiet man who kept to himself, looked normal to everyone, and didn't arouse too much suspicion outside his marriages. He was also meticulous as fuck in his planning, killing, and disposing of the bodies, which we're going to get into now. If this is not your jab, your dive, no worries. Skip on past. I'm going to get into it. I have a great trophy dad. Yes, a dad with a penis. (laughs) Coming up. You just hate that I did Star Moms. <laughs> so she's gone rogue, everyone. I have gone rogue. Ha <laughs> ha. Gary would spend hours before and after work driving around to no sex worker areas, which he called patrolling. He found around 15 victims on the highway near his home at 218th South and South 188th Street. He would sometimes pretend to work on his truck with the hood up on the side of the road so he could watch the highway for a sex worker to come along because he only killed street sex workers. He said, quote, uh, prostitutes are the the easiest. I went from uh, having sex with them to just plain killing them. He always wore gloves and would change his cars a lot and sometimes use his brother's truck or wife's car as well whenever he was patrolling. Because he worked at Kenworth, he had extensive knowledge for how to repaint his own cars and would often modify them so they could not be recognized by multiple people. Okay, you're wifey. You're the wifey. 
Aren't you a little sus? Thank you. About switching the cars and painting the cars and adding fucking Sonic the Hedgehog on the door. I don't know. Maybe she thought he was like a tinkerer. Because you know how some some people are like to do that. They just like to have like something to do. So maybe she's like, ah, he's out there just painting his truck. You know how Gary is. All I'm saying is, and this goes for anyone in a relationship, if you are with somebody and they have a locked room or garage in your home that you are not allowed to go in, fucking go in that room every single time. (laughs) Every single time. Just to 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 make make sure. sure. And we're not talking about like, you know, around your birthday or Christmas time where you're like, oh, they're hiding the presents. No, no, no. Like all the time. Just just pop in. Just do random checks. Mm Mm-hmm. You know how sometimes you randomly pick up your kid's cell phones? Do that with the locked room. Right. Especially for your SO, because what the fuck? Agreed. Yes. Carrie was also smart enough to know that the police wouldn't care if a sex worker went missing. They were considered the less dead, and unfortunately still are in a lot of cases. Believe it or not, he was actually arrested in May of 1982 for solicitation of a sex worker which led them to thinking he might be the Green River Killer. Polygraph test passed him, so they let him go. Don't you feel like an asshole now? That was 82. They had him in 82, right as he started. Don't y'all feel like an asshole now? That has to be infuriating. Because, I mean, that's the other thing, like we talked about. don't work. Well, polygraphs, yeah, they don't work. But also, the other thing is, is... they also don't have enough to, like, keep them there. You know what I mean? So that has to be so upsetting as a cop. Be like, God dang it, we just can't nail this guy. I mean, if, they, if he had at least failed the polygraph, they would have at least had something. Right, but he's so compartmentalized, clearly. He's such that, a sociopath. Right. That he, it was a, sociopaths are able to po- pass polygraphs. So I would actually say, <laughs> sounds weird, but if you pass, you should be looked at. Know what I mean? I mean, but like I could go in there and take a polygraph on the Green River Killer and I would pass. Of course you would, because I mean, you obviously you're nowhere near the place, but I don't know. It's just not a great way to measure. But again, this is the 80s, early 80s, too. We love 80s. (laughs) We do. He also didn't care about the race of his victims. This is highly unusual because most serial killers stick within their own race or the race of someone that, that they're just pissed about. He said, quote, I'd much rather have white, but black is fine. It's just just garbage. Just something to screw and kill her and dump her. You're not talking about chicken. You're talking about humans. Yeah, dude. But that's what he thought of people. That's just That's what he thought of these women. It's just disgusting. Yep. Most of his victims, but not all, were sex workers in their teens. He liked that they were innocent and less likely to con him as the older ones. He said, quote, I talked to them before I had sex with them. And she'd say, I've only done this a few times before. I mean, if she's 13 or 14 years old, you figure that's true. If you get one that's 20 or 25 that talks the slang and everything and they say, quote, I've only done this a few times. They probably got an arrest record in their lying. But the young ones stood out more when they started talking when they were dying. Oh, God. So, again, he knew that the younger they were. Not only were they easier to control, they had less experience and with no arrest record yet, he knew that they probably could not be looked up by the cops. So again, he's very fucking smart when it came to this. 
he realized like, okay, I need to make sure that, that I get a younger one because if the cops go looking for a girl who's been arrested multiple times for solicitation, they're going to know about her. And then they're going to start to put pieces together easier than somebody who's never been arrested. It's like a Jane Doe. Ugh. Yeah, dude. So plus being in sex work, some of these women were probably estranged from their family. So there's well, less likelihood of them reporting them missing. Of course they probably were. And a runaway, literally a runaway in this case, actually one, not when cops don't want to do their job. So it's, he, he knew a victim when he saw one. In other words, he also targeted homeless women, addicts, or anyone who looked vulnerable. So not all these women that he killed were sex workers. I will say that. So, and that's the other thing is. If you just happen to look like one. Yeah. So ladies, don't happen to look like a sex worker because a crazy man might want to kill you. It's so ridiculous. He liked to sometimes pick up the same worker multiple times before killing her to lure her into a false sense of security. Most of the ladies he picked up jokingly asked if he was the Green River Killer, and he would say that he's too small to do something like that. Look at me. Why would I do that? By the way, Gary is 5'10". Okay, first of all, if somebody says to you, no, of course that's not me. Why would you think that's me? It's them. For real, goodbye. Bye, sir. It's such a thing, like, I can, I can see this happening. Like, I, I have the whole movie in my head of this moment happening. So yes. you're not that Green River Killer guy, right? Nah. Why would I? No. Absolutely not. And then when he, not. But see, then he doesn't kill her on that first round. So she's like, oh, he wasn't. No worries. So I can go back to him again. He picks her up two or three more times. And then the fourth time, he decides to kill her. How fucking sick is that, dude? It's like toying with prey. You're, or your prey toying with like a, your, yeah, it's just gross. I can't. I can't. So, bef- go on. Okay. Gary would pick up a woman. He would then ask them to first use the bathroom and then shower. This helped him to cover up evidence because, first of all, they're clean and, and also put them at ease because they're clean. And he's like, oh, maybe he's just a really clean guy. The real reason he did it is because a human will evacuate their bladder and or bowels while they die. So this actually was meant to help him clean up the crime scene after. So did he make her poop? Like, I can't yes. poop on command. You can? Can't. No, but he, yes, the, he basically would say, get it all out, take a shower, and we'll start this. We'll do this. Yeah. Like, if she scratched him... He would clip her nails after she was dead to get rid of the evidence. And one time he disguised a scratch by a woman by pouring battery acid all over it so it couldn't be recognized as a scratch. So he would have sex with the woman. He would say he could only finish from behind in doggy style, then strangle her that way with either his arm or something to help him out. He would get rid of the body almost immediately and usually within 30 minutes because Gary wanted the act. He wasn't one of these dudes that like, you know, like a Bundy where it's like, I'm going to do all these things and chop up the body and then do, all, you know, it's it's a little different. Although, although we're going to get to something he is very Bundy like, unfortunately. So he would drag them out of the house on a rug or a plastic uh, tarp, back up his truck to the back of his home, put the woman in the back and then drive to a secluded spot to dump the body. 
So, but then this is like the thing is like, how is he not being caught dumping the body? Because it, I mean, you would think you get a, a truck and you're pulling over the side of the road. People are going to be like, what the fuck is going on over there? A, a, a no. tarp shaped like a body? No, because this was the 80s. Yeah, I see something, do nothing. Yeah, everybody mind your own business. We don't do nothing. So just to make sure, even though he knew it was the 80s and nobody gave a shit, he would pull his car to the side of the road, right? Dump the body and then pull the car up the road more. Pull over. So it looked like a car was stopped on the side of the road, up the road from him. And then he would go back, walk back to the body. And drag the body into the woods. But people are still going to see a person yeah. dragging a body in the woods. Yes, but they... This two plus two is not making four to me. Well, he's basically saying he's trying to not associate that car with the act that he's committing. So it looks like, oh, that's just a random abandoned car right there. And this guy is just hauling this thing that they have nothing to do with each other. So was his thought process. He, so... In my head, you, he can still see the car from where he's at. Is he driving it two miles away? I don't think it was that far, but yeah, I think he could see his car maybe a couple hundred feet up or something. I mean, and then he's over here like, I'm going to move this body farther into the woods now. I see that as I'm driving down the road. I'm still equating that person with that car. Sure. But we're also, you know, true crime fans. So we're like, murderer. Nope. <laughs> instantly. We're instantly we're on the phone. Yeah, there's a guy who murdered somebody, and there's, there, he's definitely taking him in the woods right now. That would be us. I mean, I have this person that parks in front of the, like, the mailboxes and talks on their phone. Oh, God, what a dick. Move out in front of the mailboxes where you can't get your, your fucking mail? I took a picture of their license. Rude. Yeah, yeah. And um, if something goes awry, I got you. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I didn't even, like, do it in a sneaky manner. I was like, I hope you saw me. I hope you saw me. Well, yeah, dude, the whole point is like, for you to sit at, here. I'm like, come at me, confront me. Right, like, talk on the phone. You get your mail and you move on. If you have to talk on the phone, that's fine. But just don't, like, sit there in front of everybody else's mailbox while you're trying to get a mail. Come on, man. Don't be that guy. Yeah, I was like, did not even hide it. I was like. Tried to take a picture, couldn't see it. I zoom, zoomed in. Did the zoom in with your fingers? Yes. And then I took a picture, and I could see him looking in his rearview mirror. I'm like, yeah, what you gonna do about it? I mean, come at me, man. Did he move? No. Seriously? I came to my house, pulled in my driveway, and he was still there on the phone. Ah, jeez. Whatever, dude. Man, cunt. Right. (laughs) So. This isn't the only thing that Gary did to make sure that he wouldn't be caught, and he wanted to make sure that no evidence of his was left behind. He would put items around the body to throw off cops. He would use random beer cans he found, gum that was not his, cigarette butts that he did not smoke, hotel and airport pamphlets, and threw them around the body to misdirect cops. And it worked for a while, but it, and it also slowed down the investigation because they actually do have to put work into all those items. They have to make sure it's not his. They don't know it's not his. It also helped muddy the narrative in the news and the public eye who were told to keep an eye out for a smoker who chewed big red and might be on the move with like a hotel and an airport, you know, pamphlet left behind. But all of that was not fucking true. All I'm going to say is I feel my chances of being able to get away with murder 
went up from 85% to 90% with that information. Yeah. It's really fucking smart. See, this is what's interesting about Gary is he's adult. Except for these two things. The rest of his life, mediocre at best. Painting trucks and killing people. Genius level. Like, how much money do you think he could have made painting trucks if he just like went on his own? Like, like actually did that instead of being an asshole? Like, instead of doing it at the Kenworth plant, like, had his own paint shop painting trucks. I think he'd have been fine. I, I think the problem is he had this need to kill his mother. So he took it out on these women. That's the real issue. Okay, let's mm. move on. So Gary obviously didn't have to move because he was like, I'm not being caught. They're not catching me because they didn't. And his killing ground was continued to be full of potential victims. He even started eventually dumping bodies, as I said in the last episode, away from the Green River because the news started calling him the Green River Killer. And he started dumping them from Seattle to Portland, misdirecting the cops and the news again and making it even harder to find him. So he did do something like a lot of the other killers do, and he took a trophy, namely the victim's jewelry. Quote, they die, I take their jewelry. Oh, please tell me he did not give it to his wife. Please tell me. He would leave the jewelry in the women's bathroom at work for his coworkers to find. He loved this. Quote, and my favorite thing was maybe if someone walking around with a piece of that jewelry that they had found in the bathroom. At least he didn't give it to his wife. I think one of his wives did have something, if I remember. Oh. If, I, if my memory serves. But yeah, no, he, his female coworkers would be like, oh my God, look at these earrings I found in the bathroom. Aren't they so cute? Whose are they? I have no idea. Like, who would leave these? Like, were they found in the employee bathroom or like the public bathroom? I think whatever bathroom they had at work, just so his, whatever ones his coworkers had access to so that they could pick up the jewelry. It must have been like an employee bathroom. Yeah. Because then they ask all the female employees and if every female employee said, no, it's not mine, then it's like finder's keeper. Exactly right. But then here's my thing as a female employee. At first you're like, oh, that's kind of, okay, cool. New set of earrings. But then like a, a bangle and a fucking necklace later, I'm like, who is... Leaving their shit in the bath. You know what I'm saying? Then it turns into weird because it's nobody that works here and only employees have access to this bathroom. And then you're like, okay, who the fuck is leaving random women's jewelry in the bathroom? That's weird. Then I'm thinking one of the men is a creeper. Thank you. So. And then I don't take the jewelry. And then they don't. Exactly. Yeah. Because you're like, why is what's happening? Exactly. Oh, my God. So, So he is very, like I said, very good at certain things, but like. Either nobody thought it all the way through or, well, yeah, nobody thought it all the way through. No. And everybody was just kind of like, eh, it's not that guy. He's so boring. It's not Geary. Yeah. Never Geary. In an interview after he was caught, uh, quote, she meant, she meant that a, a beautiful person that was my property, my possession, some only I knew and I missed when they were found or where I lost him. So that's in him talking about the body. So he called women his property. Of course he did. Yeah. I mean, that that was his property. That doesn't shock me. Yeah. So, and then a doctor or or somebody speaking to him in an interview. How did you feel back, Gary? Back in the eighties when the bodies were found and taken away by those 
um, those times they were discovered. How did that feel, Gary? It felt like they were taking something, something of mine that I had put there. Oh, they stole yes from him. Yes. Oh, that's cute, Gary. So let's talk about his victims, because really that's all that fucking matters here, and he's a piece of shit. Marsha Faye, that we heard about in the last episode. Marsha, like Cookie, who was found at the same time as her, had the same sperm sample, but they couldn't find out who it was, obviously, until DNA testing was available. And if that wasn't bad enough, I will ship pothole this one. Gary was a necrophile because it was easier than killing another woman. Think about that. Gary is disgusting. He was tempted at times to even kill his own family. And as we know, his mother was on this short list. So there were his second and third wife. Yep. The one that said she just loved him enough to stop him from killing. He even thought of killing his own son at one point. But at the end, he knew that we easily traced back to him. So he didn't. So the only reason he didn't kill his mom, second, third wife, or his son is because it would be traced back to him. Otherwise, they were all on the table. Yeah, Judith. I just loved him enough, and he didn't. You know, he just stopped killing for me. No, Judith. No. No, no, sweetie. I'm sorry. No. Pussy ain't that great. It turns out he's a piece of shit. Yes. The first victim found was Wendy Caulfield, a 16-year-old girl, and then four more bodies over the next weeks. Multiple women were found all across Green River, Seattle, and Portland. Here are the victims' deaths he was charged with. Amina Agashev, age 35, Casey Ann Lee, or Woods, 16, Tammy Lillies, 16, Kelly K. McGinnis, 18, Angela Marie Gerter, 16, and Patricia Osborne, 19. And here are the total confirmed victims. I'm going to say all their names because I feel like I should. Wendy Lee Caulfield, 16. Giselle Ann Lovorn, 17. Deborah Lynn Bonner, 23. Marsha Faye Chapman, 31. Cynthia Jean Hines, 17. Opal Charmaine Mills, 16. Terry Renee Milligan, 16. Mary Bridget Meehan, 18. Deb Lorraine Estes, 15. Linda Jane Rule, 16. Denise Darcel Bush, 23. Shonda Leah Summers, 16. Shirley Marie Cheryl, 18. Rebecca Becky Marrero, 20. Colleen Renee Brockman, 15. Sandra Denise Major, 20. Wendy Stevens, 14. Died circa spring of 1983. Alma Ann Smith, 18. Dolores Laverne Williams, 17. Gail Lynn Matthews, 23. Andrea Marion Childers, 19. Sandra K. Gabbert, 17. Kimmy Kai Pistor, 16. Marie N. Malvar, 18. Carol Ann Christensen, 21. Martina Teresa Authorly, 18. Cheryl Lee Wims, 18. Yvonne Shelley Antosh, 19. Carrie Ann Royce, 15. Um, this is number 30, by the way. Constance Elizabeth Noun, 19. Kelly Marie Ware, 22. Tina Marie Thompson, 21. April Dawn Buttram, 16. Debbie May Abernathy, 26. Tracy Ann Winston, 19. Maureen Sufini, 19. 
Marie Sue Bello, or excuse me, Mary Sue Bello, 25, Pammy Annette Avent, 15, Denise Louise Plager, 22, Kimberly L. Nelson, 21, Lisa Yates, 19, Mary Exeta West, 16, Cindy Ann Smith, 17, Patricia Michelle Barzak, 19, Roberta Joseph Hayes, 21, Marta Reeves, 36, Patricia Yellowrobe, 38, and then two unidentified females between the ages of 14 to 24. Um, here are the, also some other suspected victims of him, an unidentified black female, age unknown, Christy Lynn Vorak, 13, Patricia Ann LeBlanc, 15, Rosemary Curran, 16, Darcy Ward, 16, and Cora McGurk, 22. Fucking gross. And if you guys are related or know of any of those families, like, ugh, this should never have happened and been allowed to happen for as long as it did. So from 1986 to 2001, there were no breakthroughs on the Green River case. That is until CSI Miami came out or, you know, DNA testing. Everybody losing their minds over that show. I did. It was great. I liked Las Vegas. You like Vegas? Oh, yeah. Vegas was OG. Yeah. And then it was Miami. They came back out with a Vegas, but I haven't watched it. Neither. Well, I think it also kind of lost its appeal because, you know, now there's just so much true crime shit out there. like. You know what I mean? Like, we don't even need to watch that show. Excuse me, that show anymore. We could just, like, watch documentary and... I'd rather... I want to watch Las Vegas. Okay. I just haven't done it. <laughs> I'm too busy researching for you guys. So, Ted Jensen, one of the original detectives on the case, on the Green River Task Force back in the 80s, knew that they had something when they got a saliva while serving the warrant. They compared the swabs from Marsha to the saliva they got from his saliva, or yes, and they, <laughs> duh, and they got a match. They also took pubic hairs from Opal Mills to get a DNA profile, and that again matched Gary. They also took another person, her DNA, and it also matched Gary. So if anybody's wondering, like, oh, it's just one person, no, no, no. He, they made sure, and they went across the DNA profiles that were not the victims for the victims that they had from back in the early 80s. And they found all three of them match Gary. So that was the only thing that we got lucky on with him is the fact that he Gary wasn't expecting like to wear a condom. Yeah, exactly right. And I love that Marsha got to put this motherfucker away. That's the other thing. She did. She got to have her voice be heard. Fucking finally. So... They found the Green River Killer. A cop posed as a sex worker on November 16, 2001, and they actually picked Gary up again for solicitation but released him. When they booked him, he told the arresting officers to not contact his wife, but instead, quote, you can contact the Green River Task Force. They know me real well. And they sure did. And they arrested him as he was leaving work at Kenworth two weeks later. So, no, that sting operation wasn't part of them getting Gary. It just happened. It just happened. And they're like, this fucking guy still? Like, are you kidding? Then on December 5th, 2001, they charged him with four counts of aggravated murder in the first degree for Carol Christensen, Cynthia Hines, Martha Chapman, and Opal Mills. 
Three of the four victims were linked to him through DNA. And the last, because she was found like so close to the others, like what are the odds that someone else is dumping a body in the exact same spot? Like, really? I mean, it could happen. Crazier things have happened, but come on. They decided to go for the death penalty because it's, it's just too much. In April 2002, they started gathering more evidence for the trial. They got three more uh, of the victims on his sheet, essentially, and first degree counts for the murders of Wendy Caulfield, Deborah Bonner, and Deborah Estes. He pleaded not guilty to the additional counts, and a court date was set for July 2004. This was one of the things that Gary was scared of, or at least concerned about, and that was death, which is shocking because he caused so much of it. You would think he wouldn't give a shit, but he did. And what do we say? Take the plea. Yes, take the plea. He took the plea. Because he had a death penalty thing on the table and he was like, oh, yeah, no, I don't want that. But this was the plea deal. You have to tell us about every single murder and take us to every single location where you put a body. That's it. That's the deal. And he took it. And I'm fucking glad he did because most of these people wouldn't have been identified or found. No, 100%. In November 5th, 2003, he pleaded not guilty to 48 charges of first degree murder. And then in December, he was sentenced to 48 life sentences without the possibility of parole. And then an additional 10 years for tampering with evidence. Total, he got 480 years and 48 life sentences. So he's not coming out. He's there. After he was in prison, he started confessing, which took five months to go through it all. Oh, my God. He started taking them to bodies in 2003, starting with three. He would start um, confessing. And when he was, he would minimize what he did at first. And then he would go into more details. It's infuriating. Like, oh, so did you go out there and, um, you know, hurt that girl? Yeah, you know, something happened. And it's like, okay, well, what happened? And then you'd have to like dig out. Okay, just tell us, Gary. We kn- Why are we all here right now? Really, dude? We know you did it. Just fucking tell us. So the dates of his kills also started to change from 85 to 87. And he said, oh, no, I stopped in 91. Oh, no, I stopped in 98. Basically to all the way up till he was captured. So we don't really know. I don't think he ever stopped. Right. And honestly, had he not been caught, he would have kept going. He wouldn't have stopped. There was no reason for him to. No, I mean, why would he if you're going to continue to get away with it? Absolutely. It's like a four-year-old who steals cookies. Right. Exactly. Hand in the jar like, oh, you caught me. But if you keep stealing a cookie and no one's noticing, yeah, you're going to keep stealing that cookie. Gary only confessed to the murders that he did and wouldn't take responsibilities for others because, quote, why, if it isn't mine? Because I have pride in what I do. I don't want to take it from anybody else. Really, dude? You can't have pride in anything else? You couldn't have, like, done anything else with your life? He admitted to almost all the murders and six unsolved murder cases as well. He stated that killing these women was his career, And that he, quote, thought he was doing you guys a favor, talking about the cops, that, quote, you guys can't control them, but I can. He thought of sex workers as something to be cured. 
Gary Ridgway is currently rotting at Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla, Washington, and he just turned 73 years old this month. And that is the fucking horrendous story of Gary Ridgway. I mean, sex work to be cured, that's ridiculous. He's ridiculous. I uh, really, that case was fascinating to me because I didn't know much about it. Like, I've heard of it, and I was just like, okay, whatever. What makes him different than anybody else, essentially? And then, yeah, I started getting into it. I'm like, holy shit, this guy was bad. Honestly, he reminds me of Samuel Little. Because Samuel Little did the exact same thing that Gary did, but in the black community. And he killed, they confirmed 50. They think it's 80. But it's the same idea. They were less dead, but even more so because they were women of color. Sam, Samuel Little knew they're not going to be looking for these girls. Oh, yeah. And I can just keep doing what, I, what I'm doing. Grim Sleeper, same thing. It's like, that's fucking gross, dude. And it's, it's sad just that, that there's these you know, super vulnerable parts of our, our society that people are, you just need to protect and you just like be aware that this is going on. It's just crazy to me. But thank God that we got DNA because, damn, he would have just, he'd still be out there. Science, y'all. Exactly. Magic. <laughs> so what do you got for me? Well, I'm going to bring you up from that depressing awfulness. Yes, I couldn't even think of a word for it. Do you know what the world gave us on May 27th, 1975? No. Or who the world gave us? Tell me. Jamie Oliver. Oh, Jamie Oliver. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a dad. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. Yeah. He was born in Clavering, United Kingdom to Sal- Sally and Trevor Oliver. And he has one sister named Anna. As a child, he worked in his parents' restaurant, the Cricketers. Um, so it's pretty easy to see how he began his career path. Um, he began attending the Westminster Catering College at 16 and then obtained a city and Guild's National Vocation Qualification in Home Economics. Let me just say I don't understand any of that because it is a English thing. Yeah. And I did not research it because um, I'm a terrible podcaster. No, I mean, I also, like, wait, so they, you can get a degree in the UK for home ec. That's super badass, actually. Yes. Nice. So, he started as a pastry chef, actually, Mm. at Antonio Carlucio's Neil's Yard under his mentor, Giarno Contaldo. And it was when Jamie was working at the River Cafe in London that he he appeared on a documentary. And that's where his career and his TV career took off. Um, from there, he hosted The Naked Chef, which debuted on the BBC April 14th, 1999, and ran for three seasons. Um, in 2000, Jamie launched Puka Tuka, which was a new TV series. This um, was also the year that he married Juliet Norton, and they have five children together. He has five kids? Yes. Girl. Damn, I had no idea. 
Hold on. Let me tell you their names. You're going to die. Buddy Bear Maurice. Daisy Boo Pamela. Stop. Petal Blossom Rainbow. <laughs> Poppy Honey Rosie. And River Rocket Blue. It's. What? It's like. <laughs> it just reminds me of like when hippies used to name their kids Moonbeam. You know what I mean? <laughs> so. At first. I was like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, right. But now I love all of it. I love this whole vibe. <laughs> I really do. It's very unique. I like so it. So the girls' names, Daisy Petal and Poppy, um, I read There's a Reason Behind It. Um, I can't remember now. But there was a reason. Um, and, of course, I don't remember. But yeah. yeah I don't anyways, I just love that whole vibe now. Like, yeah. So in 2002, he started a documentary series, Jamie's Kitchen, where he attempted to train a group of 15 disadvantaged youth where those who completed the course would be offered um, jobs at Jamie's new restaurant, 25. Out of the 15 contestants, five secured jobs. Nice. So, and he's had multiple cookbooks, followed by restaurant openings, and all of this gave him the platform he needed to campaign for healthier eating for school children. hmm He is also a supporter of the use of local ingredients in food. So, in 2003, a four-part sequel to Jamie's Kitchen, Return of Jamie's Kitchen, launched, and he was voted the most inspired pol- political figures um, for the Feed Me Better campaign that worked towards cutting out junk food from the diets of British children, British school children, and the British government pledged $280 million um, for school. It says school dinners, so maybe lunches. Yeah, yeah. Um, So from 2005 to 2009, Jamie continued on with various TV shows. And then 2010, Jamie started shooting Jamie Oliver's Food Revolution. He would pick a city and try to improve the eating habits of said city. Hmm. In season one, he visited Hunting, West Virginia, which is statistically one of the unhealthiest cities in the U.S. The show won an Emmy for Outstanding Reality Program. But season two, they ran into problems when Jamie chose L.A. He wanted to make changes. to the school meals, and he was barred from shooting in the schools. And so the show was canceled. What? Hey, LAISD um, parents. This is red flag number one. You should look at your school lunch situation when you (laughs) ban someone from putting it on TV. Yeah, how bad is this? (laughs) I'm just saying, like... I'm picturing, like, the green ooze with the face from Calvin and Hobbes. I mean, like, seriously, if you don't want someone to, like, try to investigate it and try to make it better, that's... It doesn't look good. Yeah, look at me, look at me, stop. So, um, Jamie did continue on making TV shows, um, but as a whole... um, as a whole food revolution to stop the flood of hidden sugars and products that are aimed as kids and the bombardment of junk food advertising that's advertising directly to the children. Right. 
and he wants to bring decent food, nutritious food to kids no matter where they live. And he's created um, a generational shift in young people's health and cut the number of childhood obesity in half by 2030. Like that's his goal is to cut it in half by 2030. Nice. So um, that's what he's working on. I think one of like my favorite things is um, his show that took disadvantaged children and he gave them jobs. Oh. So like, like jobs, like what, like in, a, in the kitchen? Like yeah. With so him? in 2002, um, he had Jamie's Kitchen where oh, he yeah. tried to train 15 kids and um yeah that one out of the 15 five actually got jobs at his restaurant so like would he do that with kids like just about to get out of high school or you know what i mean so then that way it's like oh and here's your first job it just said a group of 15 disadvantaged youth okay. so they could probably be at any point in their school age yeah got it okay maybe even older 18 19 you know right because in that way, they can just start like as an intern at his restaurant and learn. And then that's awesome. Yeah. No, that's really fucking badass, dude. Yeah. Damn, he's been busy. I mean, I haven't seen him. I watched Naked Chef back in the day. It was fun. It was a good show. Yeah. And just the fact that, you know, he's wants to bring nutritious food to kids no matter where they are, because there's a lot of kids that don't have access to nutritious food across the world. Like, yeah, even in the United States, I just have never understood why healthier food is more expensive than a box of fucking pop tarts. Yeah, I don't know. I'm with you. It's crazy. Like, I prefer organic things. It's so goddamn expensive. It is. It is. And then it's also for for something that has less. You're right. Like chemicals and things. It's more expensive. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's 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 hard because like you said, there's a lot of food deserts where all you have is Dairy Queen and your grocery store and your grocery store doesn't always have produce or fresh produce all the time. And you have a town of sixteen hundred to three thousand people. Yeah, you're not going to eat the best because it's all you have. So I agree. I think that this is a really important thing that he was doing, is doing, to raise awareness for that. So badass. So yeah, and LAISD parents, um, check out <laughs> check, your food, food. situation. <laughs> here because um, I'm a little bit concerned about y'all. <laughs> Be careful. Tell us, tell us how you are because I'm worried. <laughs> Status update. I'm worried you're getting. You know what? As long as you still get the French bread pizza on Friday. Oh, French bread pizza. French bread pizza Fridays and the ice cream for a quarter. That shit ain't a quarter no more. I was going to say, I don't think it's a quarter anymore, girl. <laughs> I don't think it's a little more than that. Back in my day. Right. I know. The ice cream was a quarter. God, I love pizza day too. So good. Oh, man. I'm just, I'm just saying. So how are we going to end our contemplation? You know how to hell of a start. I mean, the champagne, the I fucking got no cake. Ending. I got no ending. In my house is the airport. We just keep it going. <laughs> There's no end. We're going to keep this rage, 
cage party going. Yeah, no, I need a nap because um Yeah, I do too. We got big plans later, y'all. Do we have more surprises coming y'all's way? I'm really can't wait, actually. I, I like I, mean, I keep wanting can, to say something and I We can tell them because it's fine. Okay, go ahead. We're gonna be on um podcast game night with that damn podcast. Yep. It'll be on their podcast. Yep. And um, we're going to have other podcast friends that are going to be on there, too. It's going to be on that damn podcast. And it's going to be us, them, of course, because they're hosting podcast game night. And it's going to be the horror wheel and gruesome twosome as well. So take a listen to their episodes and we'll also drop it on ours as well as soon as we have it back from them. So you get to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what happens we're playing cards against humanity it ought to be interesting yes i'm gonna be drinking um fallen fundies yes which if you don't know what that is go onto our instagram it is an actual drink mm-hmm. from our duggar patreon series which heads up we have more coming at you guys in march so definitely stick around we have everybody done except for the last couple of ones and that includes josh so march is a month you definitely want to listen. Yes, you can't wait to hear about Joshua Duggar. Yeah. And he's a winner. The yeah, super winner at everything. He is you know what? He is the king man cunt. <laughs> I'm crowning him. I don't disagree. So oh, yeah. also stay tuned because in April we're gonna have another special series coming at you. It's gonna be a hard right, different direction, but we think you'll like it. Yes. Gotta start working on that. And then we also have other collaborations coming up with other podcasts. Stay tuned. Yeah, we have a lot of fun we stuff. We got a lot of up. shit going on. We're big time, y'all. We're big time. Big time have no time left on the weekends. <laughs> Hashtag facts. Hashtag facts. But we love it. We love that y'all listen. Seriously, this is. We love you. We, we love, love you. our podcast friends. We love our, yeah, cunties, everybody. Thank you all so much for listening to our Cunties of Celebration, Contemplation. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday.